listening to the Rude Horror Podcast with your host, Marcus Rude. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Rude Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Rude, and today I have a special guest with me. His name is B.A. Lewandowski. He's a professional film editor and director. And today we'll be talking about the horror genre and probably most of the stuff that he's been working on and and uh, past projects. So, how are you doing in these crazy times, Mr. Man, they are. They are, aren't they? This is a weird time to be alive, isn't it? It really is. (laughs) I don't think I've ever encountered anything like this. Well, really, we all haven't really encountered anything like this in our lifetimes. And, I can only uh, expect that uh, life on Earth is going to get stranger as we move along. Right. We're really going to see the true colors in humanity. Yeah, you're seeing it right now. And to be honest with you, I'm actually surprised how how calm, for the most part, everyone's taking this. Right, right. Like, I'm, uh, I'm here in Iowa. I don't know. Are you in Chicago? Or... No, 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 no. I live, um, I live north. I'm in Wisconsin. I'm right over the border. Um, I live in a sleepy small town right between Milwaukee and Chicago. So if I need to get to the city, either one of them, um, I can relatively quickly. But I, I get to live in a very languid and quiet neighborhood, and that's trust me, that's very, very intentional. I spent a lot of time a lot of time by myself because of the nature of my work so i'll be honest with you this um this quarantine is <laughs> nothing's changed <laughs> <laughs> like nothing <laughs> it's great yeah. well even if, like i feel like for podcasters this is probably a perfect time because um everybody's stuck at home and uh some people may be bored and whatnot and this is a perfect time for podcasters to uh, to do podcast episodes. Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, fortunately, fortunately, I've got um, two full-time projects running right now, and I'm one of the rare people in my industry that's gainfully employed. Um, so I feel very fortunate and, and, and lucky because a lot of my colleagues, they're just out of work. Um, I just read there's 1.25 million unemployment claims in California, um, and I can only assume that a large portion of that is from the entertainment industry. Um, yeah, so it's it's hit it's hit entertainment as oh, you, for sure. I'm sure you can imagine really hard, really hard. Right. Oh yeah, because I mean I'm sure there's quite a bit of people that work on sets and, you know, actors and stuff, you know, we can't really be in big groups all at once while, you know, all this is going on. So I can only imagine how tough it is for the film industry. Yeah, it's rough and it's going to get rougher. Um, and it will, it will eventually, um, find its way to the, the people that work in my discipline, which is which is post production, it'll it will catch up. Um, 
six months from now when you realize there's no there's no goddamn content out there, it's because of what's happening right now. Yeah. Actually, it might be a little it might be a little longer than that, but yeah, it, it's it will affect everybody eventually. Well, uh, Charles Band isn't uh, being stopped anytime soon with his Corona Zombies film being made right now. No, you're going to see a lot of those. Actually, you're going to see a a lot of those. You know, and you'll see it from the studio system a year from now. And I think that independent filmmakers, if they were smart, they would latch on to idea like this because this is a big deal. I mean, this is it's for the most part unprecedented. You know. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, oh, like the Black Plague, the bubonic plague. It's kind of like a something like that, but. You know, different name, different type of flu different like set of circumstances. virus. Yeah, and different, yeah, uh, different circumstances and and how this came up to be. But uh, you know, this will probably go in the history books, maybe as something significant like that. Oh, I know. There's no doubt. There's no doubt, and we don't even know. You remember what what I've been telling everybody is. I think the reason that we're seeing that the reaction that we're seeing is because, um, I mean, I'm not a virologist, but I do know that viruses, especially the flu virus, is secular. So I think what you're seeing right now isn't necessarily a reaction uh, of the current circumstances. I think what scientists are trying to get ahead of is what's going to happen in the fall when um, the flu bug that we're dealing with COVID-19 comes back. Um, mm-hmm. Man, we're not out of the woods yet. Not oh, by a no. long shot. Um, that's the scary part. So hopefully if people follow, you know, protocol and maintain social distancing and yeah. stay the fuck home for the next month, we should be, we should be okay. But right. As long as we wash our hands. This is a horror movie, isn't it? From it? <laughs> this it kind of is. It really, it really way. is. Except we're living a horror reality. We absolutely are. And <laughs> I got to be honest: if you're a, um, if you work in any artistic endeavor, I mean, <laughs> there is a uh, a mountain of of material to uh, to work from right now. Oh yeah. And even like for like writers, I mean, this is like a good time to even be a writer and just, you know, explore and expand your mind to the content that's out there as far as what's being presented and how people are reacting to everything. Yeah. So you're in, um, so you're in Wheatland. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's a really, really small town. Outside of the Quad Cities. Okay, so you're not far. You 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 live in a town very similar to mine, probably. Yeah, like it's shit. I don't even know. Maybe like 200 people living in town, and then, you know, we're surrounded by countryside, so there's a lot of farms and. Perfect. Nice and quiet. Yeah. Yeah. But when I have to get my, you know, supplies and stuff, I have to travel like 40 minutes away to get. You know, to the nearest Walmart or something. And that's that's the part that sucks. Yeah. But, you know, then I'm away from 
the big population, like the big towns and whatnot. I'm away from that, so that helps me and my family a little bit. I'd like to think. Oh, especially right now, man. What a benefit, right? <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, we're just we're staying quarantined here, and uh, apparently, I have to go back to work Monday. But uh, we'll see how that goes because we're kind of going day by day here. And uh, well, at least you've got uh, at least you've got a job to go back to, right? I mean, that's one way to look. Right, right. Yeah, I just gotta keep positive and think of the positive things instead of all the negative stuff. But uh, enough, enough about me. <laughs> um, um, so I, I watched uh, the rake earlier, and you or I guess I should say your company September Sun Films worked on that movie uh could you tell us a little bit about uh the rake and maybe even about September Sun Films and uh what um you know maybe a lot of our my listeners might not know what uh what all goes into film editing maybe you can kind of shed some light in on like what kind of work that you do um, September Sun Films is basically a post house, uh, post production. I do a lot of uh, post production for, well, you name it, um, feature films, short films, um, documentaries, short subjects, um, industrials, commercials, music videos. Um, we're working on. We're actually working on a cartoon right now for Hasbro, um, Entertainment One, and Disney Junior. Um, so I mean, we we'll cut anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. I will work. I will work on anything, and <laughs> I'll get. You know, I'll get more into that point. You know, in a little bit when we start talking about. You know, uh, uh, I'm sure we'll probably get into how I started, but. That's basically what we do is we will we, we, we offer post-production super supervision. We offer um, services such as film editing, uh, visual effects, uh, sound mixing and design, color work. Um, I work with a lot of different composers. So realistically, if you've got a project that needs to get completed, be that, you know, a three minute film or a 120 minute feature, um, we can handle that. So. Yeah, it's all encompassing, um, and and you know what I, I I rarely turn uh, work down, um, and the reason the reason for that is, you know, you need a you need a lot of uh, you need a lot of experience. You need to work in a lot of different genres. Not to mention, you you never know you never know which one of your colleagues is going to what they're going to do. What's what their career is going to become. You never know which one's going to hit it right big. on. You know what I mean? So I, that's probably one of the reasons I, I, I have such a diverse catalog. Cause I just find it very, very difficult to say no. Um, especially if, you know, if your rates getting met and paid the wages you need to get paid, I rarely turn, turn a job down. <laughs> oh, right on, man. I, I totally, totally understand and i think that's really cool that you don't just stick to 
you know, like say one genre, you know, you're just kind of all across the board. And, uh, People always assume that um, because of the the I've got a lot of horror films on my resume that I, I specialize in horror. I don't. It's just that in the independent film community, horror films traditionally are relatively easy to make in terms of, of cost. Um, and it's the one genre, especially if you've ever been to a horror convention, and I'm sure that you have, um, mm-hmm. audiences are very, very forgiving with the low-budget nature of, of horror films. So basically what I'm saying is you can, you can get away with a lot of shit, you know? Oh, oh, for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean, regardless of your experience level. But generally speaking, I, would, I prefer – I actually prefer um, um, experimental film, which, you know, and sometimes horror kind of bleeds into that. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I I, I don't really have a um, I don't really have a favorite, you know. I suppose, like I said earlier, I'll I'll cut anything. <laughs> <laughs> whatever pays the bills, right? Yeah, whatever pays the bills. I mean, I don't want to work. I mean, there's obviously some material I won't work on. I won't work on, you know, specific political pieces or, um, you know. Documentaries of subjects I have no interest in. Uh, yeah. um, I mean, like unless the, I was being boring paid. shit. I mean, you know, even even if I was being paid, if I was, I mean, look, if the money, if the money's there, if there's enough money, I suppose I'd cut you and I, you know, reading the phone book together. But <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that might be a a long ass documentary there. Yeah, would it be though? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Um, oh, I was gonna say. Uh, so uh, you've you've done more than just film editing. I've seen uh, that you also directed a segment in Skeletons in the Closet, which is a newer horror film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually the co-director of of uh, Skeletons in the Closet with the. Uh, filmmaker by the name of Tony Walsh who actually directed The Rake. Uh, Skeletons is actually a really interesting uh, movie. It's, it's in some ways, uh, it has a almost nightmarish in terms of the difficulty of it. Um, it's, all, it's very much a cautionary tale, like a lot of the projects I've had over the years. Um, it's just the nature of the budget and whatnot. Um, but Skeletons was actually a different movie at one point. 2012, out of the blue, I contacted uh, four different filmmakers in the Chicagoland area. And I'm talking about out of the fucking blue. I think I sent messages through Facebook and said, hey, you don't know who I am, but my name is B.A. Lewandowski. I'm a professional film editor, and I'm looking to put together a, an anthology project. This was in, uh, shit, March 2012. And sure enough... Lo and behold, these three filmmakers were like, fuck it, let's do it. And by Memorial Day weekend of that year, three months later, less than three months later, we had started working on this. And this project was called Chop Shop. You fast forward about a year and a half. We had difficulties um, 
coming to consensus about how to complete the film. So two of the filmmakers dropped out with completed short films, which they've then gone on to do other things with. So me and uh, Tony were left holding the bag. So uh, he approached me. I think it was while we were cutting on High in the Hog, the Sid Haig movie. I said, I've got another concept called Skeletons in the Closet. And then we got into this whole idea of um, using it as a nostalgia piece and making it an 80s film. The point I'm trying to make is that used to be a completely different movie. That's one of the reasons that when you watch it, you haven't seen it yet, right? Uh, no, I mean, I, I tried maybe watching a little bit of it after the rake, but by that time, I was like, ah, you know, we we're going to record this episode. So I yeah, was like, you got to watch it. You, you could, you'll, you'll, are you, are you a big fan of eighties horror? I'm assuming that you are. Oh yeah. I'm a sucker for horror anthologies. Okay. Then you'll, you'll, you'll like, you'll like skeletons. It's very much a love letter to, to fans of, of eighties horror. Um, and the the, oh, yeah. the miracle of that movie is we we put it together on the fly, um, and a lot of the um, a lot of the best bits in the film are actually not even written. You know, we just we developed those in the editing room. Like for example, the Channel Thirteen character. Um, did you get it that far? Uh, mm, is he like the skeleton looking guy? No, 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 Channel 13 is actually the narrator in the trailer. Did you watch the trailer? <laughs> to you be honest, didn't. no, I haven't. <laughs> okay, when you get into the movie, you'll, 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 know, okay. you'll believe me, you won't, you won't be able to, you won't be able to, to turn away from the, the, the Channel 13 uh, narrator. He's a voice in the television. That's actually my voice. And, and okay. elements like that, we just kind of developed while we were in the editing room. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that that movie was was um like any film i suppose uh, extremely taxing um but it started out it started out as a completely different project and there was this odd genesis of where it ended up in fact we had actually we had actually debated speaking to i think we actually spoke to sid i think one of the producers did about actually being in that movie sid haig was actually mm-hmm. almost part of 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 that project back when it was chop shop Oh man, that would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. But you know what? We got him in High in the Hog, so I guess it's okay. Right on, right on. Yeah, we'll definitely have to talk about that one. And, uh, and then you had mentioned to me about a documentary with Sid Haig that you're currently working on. You'll have to, you know, maybe after we talk about this movie, you can talk about one of those. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Have you seen High in the Hog yet? Uh, not yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, it's okay. You need. Yeah, you need, you need to see Hog. Hog is. Uh, Hog's batshit loony. <laughs> I did see the trailer for that one though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's basically what you're gonna get. Yeah. It's it's a it's a loony movie, man. It's wild. It's fucking wild. Hell yeah! Can't wait to check that one out, man. It's not horror. I mean, it has some horror elements, um, is, but it's, it's kind of like a grind. grindhouse. Yeah, it's a grindhouse movie. It's it's what I like to call um, retro grindhouse. A a true grindhouse movie is very very similar, and this is what's ironic 
because Tarantino got a lot of shit for Death Proof. I'm assuming you've seen um, the 2007 Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino movie, Grindhouse. Oh, my God, yes. I love that movie. So do I. It's great. The Tarantino film, Death Proof, is actually more in keeping with traditional Grindhouse cinema. It's very, very deliberately paced. It's very languid. It's very slow. It's not dull, but it's slow. Hog right. is not slow. Hog is Hog is like putting meth in your eye. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. nuts. Um, so I like to call it retro grindhouse because it's not quite 70s era drive-in grindhouse, but it has that there's enough nostalgic flair in the way that the images are presented that you're like, oh, okay, I, I know what the filmmakers are doing. Unfortunately, over the last year and a half since the movie's been released, I've gotten an obnoxious amount of criticism, not necessarily criticisms. I've actually gotten a lot of compliments, but criticisms, and but all of, all of, all of the, the, the input usually, negative or positive, has been... Um, it's been in keeping with uh, Rob Zombie's uh, type of cinema, which is fine. I mean, because I guess that the, in the long run, you, you can't escape that now. Right, right. And it's not, a, it's not a bad thing either. I mean, it's... No. No, uh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, sure, Rob Zombie's, you know, he's had some bad movies, but he's also had some really good-ass movies, too. So, I mean, it's, it's like a, uh, a balancing beam. With anything really, I mean, you just—it's going to either go one way or the other, and then the diehard fans are going to love it no matter what. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of—I'm not necessarily a big fan of his movies, but I'm a huge fan of his aesthetic, and, and there is a huge difference. Like, I'll give you a good example. I watched when I watched Thirty One. I shut up the volume halfway through. Because the dialogue was so atrocious. But I love the aesthetic. So I kept oh, it. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Like, the the atmosphere was amazing. The atmosphere and the imagery, the photography. I like I like how all of his edges are very rough. Um, everything's very dirty. I like that a lot. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was... Yeah, that was another one of those movies where uh, even the previews, like, it looked really fucking good. And then watching the movie, it's like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> like, it just, it fell apart before our very eyes. But, I mean, the uh, the atmosphere was great. Uh, I loved the whole idea of, of uh, them, you know, uh, the group of people in there. And it's just kind of like a... A manhunt kind of thing, and they just kill each other and uh, for sport. Oh, and, oh, you're talking about thirty one. Yeah, yeah. Or what are let we me tell about? you. Let me tell you something. Uh, let me tell you something interesting about thirty one. I was actually on a podcast recently where somebody was asking me about thirty one because they they I I I told I, I had the I started out a conversation just like this. I said I was a, a Rob Zombie fan, and I, I am. I am. Here's the problem with 31. All right, so obviously, like all of us, all of us horror fans, you're a Carpenter fan. So in Escape from New York, the original 1981 film, 
Carpenter sets this sets the movie up brilliantly in in that opening graphic, the one that's got you know Jamie Lee Curtis's voice, and she's describing you know what's happened in the future, and the the she basically sets out the the parameters of the prison in New York and the rules, and you understand all the logistics. My biggest problem with Thirty One, and this is all Zombie had to do. Is he had to lay out, he had to lay out not only the ground rules, which Malcolm McDowell does fleetingly, but they had mm. to lay out the logistics of where you were so that you understood it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And how they had to get to their goal. That was the big failure because you had never, never at any point did you understand where you were, where they were supposed to go. How the villains were were approaching. (laughs) That was my biggest issue with that movie. Other than it was repetitive and redundant. And he was basically ripping up himself. But you know what? That's fine. Filmmakers do that all the time. Yeah. It's kind of like. uh, The stick in front of you with the carrot. Dangling uh, on the string. Yeah. And you just chase the carrot around. Yeah. That was. (laughs) It's kind of the, you know, premises of that movie. It just kind of felt kind of like that. But, uh, I mean, I will say House of a Thousand Corpses was is probably his best film. And a lot of people could argue Devil's Rejects is. But, I mean, House of a Thousand Corpses started, you know, that whole... Pretty much started his career, really, as far as a filmmaker. But... You know, getting back to Sid Haig, I mean, sure, Sid Haig has been known for, you know, the exploitation films he did in the 70s. But uh, Rob Zombie really uh, revitalized his career with Captain Spaulding. Oh, without question. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he, I, I could, I can never really picture anybody else to play Captain Spaulding except for Sid Haig. After seeing his performance, I mean, no one could top that. You know, like he he definitely made Captain Spaulding. No, that was that was the beginning of Sid's. That was the beginning of Sid's second act. Sid's second act should have started in 1994, had he taken the. Uh, you know that Sid was um, offered Marcellus Wallace on Pulp Fiction. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And here's here's why he turned it down. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Now I've heard this. Um, I've heard you. You can hear this in podcasts. He's done this at conventions, but over the last three years, me and uh, the guy that produced High in the Hog, Kevin Lockhart, we used to uh, we used to work with Sid. Um, on the convention circuit. If you've been to a convention in the last three, four years that Sid was at, 50-50 chance you may have seen me, actually. Really? I was at uh, Days of the Dead Chicago when Sid was up there. What what year? Uh, I think I've been there. I think I've been there every year since 13. I want to say 2018. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If he was there, we were there. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it was 2018. It was like uh, oh, 
It was the year Linda Blair was there as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was... <laughs> I got a good... I got a funny Linda Blair story. There was Ooh, a... Okay. I was... I was... One of those... One of those bar carts was near her table. It was in the hallway. And I was standing by a guy who had this really raunchy early 80s mid 80s uh photo of her where her breasts were out it's kind of sleazy and this guy was three sheets to the wind so i'm watching him right he takes it over to her he's like linda miss blair he was real nice you know he was real professional well as professional as a drunk at 11 30 can be he's like would you please sign this and she's like i will sign this for you but you have to donate to my charity and she didn't say how much so this guy takes out his fucking wad of cash and i think he throws in 50 bucks or something and then she signs it but the <laughs> the, po- the point is is this guy was this guy was a you know this guy was a real creeper that's the nice thing about conventions man you see all kinds you see all fucking kinds anyway let me get back to the fucking shit story jesus christ we got sidetracked <laughs> hey no so it's we were, fine so we were at dinner. I don't know where the fuck we were. You know, I, I finally said to him, I go, Sid, I've heard you tell this story, but, you know, is that true? And Sid's like, yeah. He goes, one of the reasons I retired in 92 was because I was sick of getting these scripts that were all the fucking same. And you know, he used to do a lot of heavies. He used to play a lot of heavies in TV. Mm-hmm for fucking years and it was the same goddamn role and then if he got offered featured parts you know they were for one two three days and sure enough you know when he got the pages for pulp it was only supposed to be i i want to say and i could be wrong here but i want to say it was a one or two day max but what Sid didn't know is that Tarantino does have a tendency to work actors longer. Not to mention at that point, Tarantino had done one film. And, you know, Dogs was a hit in terms of its critical popularity. But it wasn't mm-hmm. a major moneymaker. But people knew in L.A. who he was. And Sid admitted that he knew the name, but... He wasn't particularly popular. Not yet. Because remember, before Pulp Fiction, if you weren't involved in the independent, the truly independent film scene, even in greater L.A., Tarantino's name wasn't a household word yet. Not even close. Right. So he turned right. it down. And here's the, here's the best part of this story. So my follow-up, my follow-up to Sid was, What do you think that would have done to your career? And I said, I'm, I, I'm sorry if that sounds like a stupid question. And he goes, you know, I've thought about that. And I know what your next question is going to be. Would I have done, would I have done corpses in 2000? You know, would I have, would I have taken the role from zombie seven mm-hmm. years later? Who knows? Who knows? Man, that is so crazy. Yeah, that's a crazy about. story. To be perfectly honest with you, I think that would have elevated Sid's name. Um, I 
think he would have gotten some strong work in the years following. I don't think it would have affected that. I think Zombie would have gone for, for Haig, and I think that movie still would have gotten made. But, I mean, you never know. You never know. Yeah, I mean, Sid could have veered off to another path, and, you know, he might never went into the horror genre. <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know, then he did go to... Uh, well, uh, back, to the, back to the horror genre. Or, yeah, back. He was in Spider-Baby all them years back. But, um... Well, he wasn't... Not just not just Spider-Baby. Do you remember, um... Roger Corman's Galaxy of Terror? <laughs> oh, my God, yes. With I the crystals? <laughs> and Robert England was in that as well. Yeah, you're, I got a good story for you. This one will be fast. So... <laughs> I had some edibles once, right? Mm-hmm. And I know for fucking sure Sid was sh- sh- Sid was 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 high. This was a this was a dinner after a show. I think we were we might have been in we might have been in Atlanta. I don't remember. And I just off the cuff, I look over at Sid because we were. I, I must have seen. Must have seen somebody with a GOT shirt or something. I look over at Sid, right? And <laughs> I don't think he was sober. And I go, Sid, was working on Galaxy of Terror fun? <laughs> and he stops what he was doing, right? And he looks at me. And you can tell he's, he's processing. And he, and he looks down for a second. And so now he's thinking fucking hard. And he looks back up off in the distance and he smiles, you know, that big pontific Sid Haig smile. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even look back at me. He's just looking off in the distance and he smiles and he goes, yeah, <laughs> that's all he said. <laughs> so I can only imagine what he was thinking about. And that was it. That was my Galaxy of Terror story. That's oh all I got. <laughs> oh, shit, man. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I spent probably, I don't know, fucking 100 hours talking to that guy. And I would shit you not, 90% of it was fucking politics. Oh, really? Yeah, for sure. Getting into politics? Um, I, I am, depending on who I'm talking to. Um, I like... I like talking about politics in terms of the historical perspective. So when I'm talking to someone significantly older than me, it's far more interesting. Because think about this. Sid had been Sid had been in the business since nineteen sixty. Mm-hmm. I mean, think his career paralleled I mean Kennedy, civil rights, Watergate, Vietnam. I mean, oh yeah, fuck, dude, the shit he's seen. And Jeez. before that, remember, yeah, Sitting maybe even till he was, you know, late twenties, early thirties. So the, I mean, my God, the the, yeah, that that man had seen. <laughs> Seen a lot of shit, man. Yeah, he had seen right, exactly, exactly. Oh uh, yeah, and then uh, 
I was thinking uh, back to the Tarantino thing. He did play the judge in Jackie Brown. So he ended up taking a role from Tarantino. He did. You know what's funny about that, too? Um, he's only in that for one fucking scene. I mean, realistically, he's got maybe, yeah. I don't know, less than half a, less than a dozen actual <laughs> shots. But he makes quite a fucking impression. Oh, hell yeah. Um, he did this movie in 2015 for this crazy person named S. Craig Zoller. This horror western called Bone Tomahawk. And he's only in that in the opening scene with David Arquette. And it's it's incredible. He was terrific in that. I actually I actually thought he was terrific in Three from Hell. I actually liked Three from Hell. I really did. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I know that he you know he was going through some shit in his life at that time. But I mean, I was maybe a little disappointed that he didn't get more screen time. But I mean, I understand, you know. He, I think from what I heard, he would have had more screen time if, you know, if he hadn't been sick. So they had to kind of rewrite the whole script, basically. And that's, you know, that's why we ended up getting what we got. Well, you know what? I I, I was thinking about that. And, and part of me thinks that he's actually far more imposing because his role is truncated. It's like a more monumental performance because it's, it is brief, but it's extremely impactful because you're, 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 you're seeing, you're seeing that one of the, one of the firefly family is not immortal. It just has more weight. Um, right. You're seeing the final act of Captain Spaulding. Yeah. Like he came right full circle. Yep, he came full circle. Um, yeah. I would have rather High in the Hog been his final film as opposed to Three from Hell because when I look back at... When I look back at the character he plays in that. He actually, interestingly enough, let me tell you, I'll give you a little bit of a history lesson. Um, Sid Haig actually plays a character called Big Daddy twice. Um, once, the first time he did it was in 19, I think, 67. Yeah, 67. It's the same year that John Borman's Point Blank came out. Which he's also in, incidentally. He did this movie called It's a Bikini World. It's a musical comedy. Hmm. And he plays a character called Big Daddy. Um, and then, sure enough, 2019, he's in High in the Hog and he plays Big Daddy. <laughs> That's kind of. It's weird, right? Yeah, it's kind of. Are they similar characters? No, not at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, it's still kind of interesting to 
you know, nice little trivia fact there. Hey, he come, he came, he came full circle in those two roles. Yeah, man. Yeah, it, uh, when I when I met him, um, this is kind of during the time where everyone was kind of saying that you know he's looking sick and whatnot, and then this was when he was kind of getting pissed about people saying stuff about that. But uh, when I met him, he was he was such a cool dude. I walked up and uh, I brought my VHS copy of House of a Thousand Corpses for him to sign. And I just I just remember the one thing he told me was, "Oh, you're going old school, huh?" I was like, "Yes, sir." <laughs> Fuck and, yeah, man! You know, he signed it for me and got a picture with him, and you know, I'll never forget it. It was it was it was brief that I talked to him, but you know, his line was getting kind of big, and you know, just seeing him in person was surreal enough for me. You know, he's just he's such an icon now. And uh, yeah, man, yeah, it it was brief, but it was amazing. <laughs> I also I used to I I used to oh, uh, I used to sit there and wonder, um, and just marvel at at the lines that he would produce of people that were so excited to see him, um, and I think a lot of it had to do. You know, his prices were cheaper than anybody. I think he used to drive his colleagues nuts, but I don't really think that was the issue. I think that he would have given his fans the the shirt off of his back. Um, Right. And it was was cool to be around that, you know what I mean? Yeah, it it wasn't about the money. Like, you know, like that's what uh, that I am seeing, you know, as a fan that, you know, he cares about his fans. And, you know, a lot of these other people are charging 40, 50, 60 dollars. Well, he just kind of says, fuck that, you know, 10 bucks, get some sign in a picture. I mean, you can't fucking beat that. No, no, you can't beat it. And, 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 and it makes me appreciate him even more that, you know, he's not there for the money. I mean, I'm sure some of it is, but, you know, um, you know, it just seemed like he just he cared about his fans more than anything, and it's 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 hard to find people like that, really. I mean, generally, um, I think generally, on the the horror convention circuit, most of the celebrities um, have a very measured way. With how they treat their fans, but generally it's it's very accommodating. But Sid's was different. You felt it was it was it was different. Um, there was a lot of love in that room with him, and I think a lot of it had to do with his age. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He almost felt like it seemed like a lot of people treated him almost like a universal grandfather figure. Yeah, which I, you know what I mean. I know that seems strange. Um, that's that's actually where my relationship with with Sid went. Um, the last year or two, we didn't talk about movies. Rarely, it was like I said, it was politics and 
and the kind of questions you'd ask your grandfather about. Hmm. You know what I mean? Career right. advice and, and historical perspectives on things. Philosophy. I think I just stopped viewing him as a movie star and, like I said, kind of like a grandfather. And I think a lot of people did that. He did dispense some great advice. And he did it in a really fucking funny way. Thank <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, he was good shit, man. He's, you know, we'll talk about the, we'll talk about the doc later, but, um, as you can tell, I'm obviously a huge fan. Otherwise we wouldn't be involved in a project like that. Right. Yeah. He's, you know, definitely be, a, a fun time being around him and, uh, being able to work with him. I'm sure he's, he's a lot of fun to be around. Um, is there, uh, any other projects that you've been working on that you'd like to talk about or, um, late last year, I worked on a Bollywood movie. It should be out in the fall. We think that was insane. Hmm. Is there like a title for it or? Is it still kind of um, post-production? It was called Rager, which doesn't make any sense. But that title has now been altered. Um, I don't actually have the translation in front of me, but it's been changed. Like I said, it's a Bollywood movie. It will not see... It, I mean, it probably will see U.S. distribution at some point in 2021. Um, but I got to be honest with you. That's not something I'm... I'm hyped about it is a nice it is a nice thing to add to my resume but <laughs> I mean yeah. uh, like I said I am working on a cartoon for Hasbro um, I'm not going to name it right now I'll tell you later what it is because I don't want to associate uh, my cartoon with uh, all the F-bombs I'm dropping in during this interview oh for sure yeah I mean hey <laughs> If, you know, if I start talking about something and you don't feel comfortable talking about, just let me oh, know. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I'll talk about anything except for the title of my cartoon. And okay. then, uh, like I said, we are we are in the preparatory stages, perhaps even farther along, although I'm not going to disclose that right now, on a documentary about Sid Haig. Um, I don't have a... Uh, I don't have a release window. Um, I couldn't even make a guess at this point, but I will say that you will see it sometime in the future. Hell yeah. It's going to be bigger Definitely than I want to check that out. Is... Yeah, yeah. If you're a Sid Haig fan, you'll... you'll so is this going to be like a documentary about his life or, his, you know, more than yes. his movies? Yes, it's all encompassing. Um, it's all encompassing. The movie portion, and this is where I think that I wouldn't say fans are going to be disappointed, but I'm I'm gearing this more to older fans of 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 Sid because I'm going to be spending a lot of time talking about 1960 
through the early 80s. Um, Sid's career, uh, movie-wise, from 81 to 97 isn't as interesting as his TV work. And obviously, when Corpses came out in 03, he was, that was his second act. And then, of course, when the horror convention started again, that was his, his third act. For sure. Now, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have a hell of a lot of information about, about the, his career, um, you know, post-2003. Because he actually did some movies in there that, that, in my opinion, are just as interesting as the zombie movies. Like, he did, for example, this movie about another clown uh, called Little Big Top by a director named Ward Roberts, which is really interesting. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever heard of that one. Oh, it's oh, dude, it's great. It's great. <laughs> um, All right, right on. But yeah, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the era that I'm actually far more interested in. I, I, I like the zombie movies, and I'm glad that they exist because a whole new generation, two generations, have because you know how it is, man. I saw lots of little kids getting their autograph from Sid, so it's a couple generations. Right, but I I'm far more interested in his his work. Like I said, um, Spider Baby through you know seventy four was the was the fucking golden era of Sid Haig, in my opinion. Right, like the Foxy Brown oh, movies, you know. You know, he did Spider Baby, and then he did pit stop and he did uh played che guevara or no actually he didn't play che guevara he's antonio in a che guevara movie he's in george lucas's first movie you know and then he did the um philippine movies you know he did big dollhouse and he did um big bird cage and right. the, uh, that was Black the one i was trying to think of the big bird cage yeah, that's a great one and then you know he was in a bond movie you know and then he did coffee yeah. all those eddie romero movies um uh, he did the the old Batman TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Adam West. Was, I, yeah, the TV stuff is the TV. He did. I don't know what the hell the number is. Three hundred and fifty plus episodes of television. I mean, right. <laughs> He's done like an immense amount of I mean, TV yeah. work. Oh yeah, his yeah, his resume is <laughs> impressive. <laughs> doesn't even begin to describe it, honestly. Right. But yeah, yeah. So that's you know we'll, and then you know that's the nice thing about a, if you're doing a doc on an actor like Sid. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude. I, honestly, I could make a four hour documentary, but we're not going to be able to. Oh my god, yeah, like interviewing people he's worked with and stuff, dude. Yeah, it's yeah. Documentaries are um, documentaries are a lot more work in my opinion than a feature film. I it's. <laughs> it's earth shattering once you actually do the math <laughs> right not not to change subject but uh i don't know if, if you're like a wrestling fan at all but uh there's a really good documentary on uh chris benoit that just came out on uh i think you can find it on youtube but uh it's uh vice did a documentary on him of uh 
Dark Side of the Ring. Oh yeah, yeah. I just saw I just saw uh, um, uh, a story uh, on that in on, on on social media somewhere. I think it was on Facebook. Yeah, because I follow Vice. It's an interesting yeah. story. I remember when he killed himself. That was wow. Yeah, it was. It's probably one of the most powerful like wrestling documentaries I've ever seen. So far, you know, like it was, you know, it it, uh, it really goes through, uh, you know, it talks about like Eddie Guerrero and, you know, because he had a hard time dealing with Eddie Guerrero's death and, uh, you know, and then just leads up to, to uh, you know, what happened with him and his family and, and the aftermath of it. And, uh, you know, there's uh, his son is on there as well. And, you know, it's, it was just really a really powerful documentary. Are you a big uh, wrestling fan? Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of took a little hiatus from it for about 10 years. But I used to watch it back in the Attitude Era with, like, Stone Cold, Undertaker, The Rock, you know. And watched that for several years. And then, then when I... You know, <laughs> got into my teenage years that's when i kind of you know chasing the girls and, yeah i was gonna say you, you know, found found girls and you're like yeah i don't need this right now no, no. The same thing <laughs> happened to me because i was a huge fan from like uh 86 to like 94 and all right my first year of college i was really young when i went to college i was 18 it was 93 and sure enough the next year i was done with pro wrestling but you know what i understand why people enjoy it for the same reason for the same reason people enjoy soap operas it's drama it's just drama and sports i totally understand it's no more ridiculous than any of the so-called professional sports which i gotta be honest with you anything that generates a billion dollars is on the up and up so wrestling might be fake but it's no more or less than any of the other so-called professional sports, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, and I'm not like, I mean, I guess trying to defend wrestling, but I mean, you know, they, some of them guys really do take bumps. Oh, no, they take you all know. bumps. The outcomes, the outcomes are, are contrived, but the actual, the actual violence within the, 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 the actual work. Oh, yeah. The hits? Without question. I mean, why do you think these guys like Benoit, why do you think they commit suicide from fucking head injuries? You don't get head injuries from something that's fucking fake. No. No. No, I have no no doubt. But like I was saying, we criticize wrestling for having contrived outcomes, but I don't know, man. After watching pro football all these years, you gotta wonder, right? (laughs) You gotta fucking wonder about these so-called outcomes, right, man? I don't know, man. I'm a Lions fan, so I'm telling you, man. When you're a Lions fan, you're like, Jesus Christ, this can't <laughs> be real. You know what? When you really, when it really gets down to it, think about this for a second. We all, I think, most Americans will agree that politics is fixed, right? In some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Either would, at the ballot box so. or. Because you've got so much money and influence that overrides what the actual American people want. Okay, so if politics, if politics is manipulated, why can't sports outcomes? 
Well, and I think that they've tried that in the past too, but then they end up getting busted for it. And, uh, or, you know, like, uh, I guess I would say like with the whole betting situations, like now it's, it's starting to be more accepting, which is crazy to think about that now we can bet on sports and not, you know, get arrested for it. It's crazy, right? But like back in the day, or, you know, like, uh, like Trump pardoned one of the owners of, uh, was it the 49ers? Uh, yeah, busted in the eighties for uh for betting. So yeah, I mean it's it's crazy to think how much even shit like that is changing. Um, you know, kind of talking in a like a spinning record, but you know, it's crazy to think that now we can bet legally. You know, as long as we go the legal routes. It's it's starting, you know, shit that was illegal is now becoming legal. You know, <laughs> not everything. Eventually, but... eventually, it all will be, and then people will realize. Oh wait, this really was never going to affect us negatively. Like prostitution should be legal. All drugs should be legalized. I mean, you you know, you need to control it, and you know, like some marijuana, aspects. it's already being legalized in certain states, so it's. They're starting to be a lot more laxed on on some things. Which, you know, I have no problem with, with marijuana. I mean, you know, it, it really, it's it's your choice. If you want to do that in your own free time, hey, by all means, you're not affecting me. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, I don't know. Um <laughs> We're kind of steering away a little bit from uh, the horror genre. Maybe I'll try to sling us back into. Now we're talking about politics. That's horror. <laughs> Reality horror. Uh, but yeah, uh, the the rake. I watched that earlier tonight, and. Uh, uh, you know, I'll be honest, like I, I messaged you and I said, you know, some of the acting wasn't the greatest, but I did love the creature effects. And uh, hey, Mark, before effects. we get into this, I'm going to yes. I'm going to uh, freshen up my beer. Give me one second. All right. Hey, uh, I'll edit this out, but I want to do the same. Is that cool? all right? Perfect. Give me about 30. Give me about actually give me about 60 seconds. While we're grabbing a beer real quick, I just wanted to mention Wake Brewing in Rock Island, Illinois is a brewing company, a bar area where you can buy craft beer that's made right from there. Uh, a lot of businesses are you know, closed right now during the coronavirus pandemic, but they do uh, pre-orders where you can prepay through PayPal and, uh, and pick up beer to go. Um, Saturdays from 12 to 3, you can stop by the brewing company and pick up some beers to go. So definitely check that out. Um, check out their website at uh, wakebrewing.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Go check it out, guys. They have some terrific beer. And uh, especially if you're in the local area, you know, 
keep keep these local businesses alive during this these tough times. So it's ironic that we're talking about this 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 movie. But it's good because this is the first time I've actually really publicly spoken about this movie because my role in this film is odd. So I'm sure you noticed I'm not the credited I'm not the credited editor um of this film because I'm not the credit editor and you're watching not my cut of the film. You're watching the, um, production company in LA. Um, you're watching their version of the movie, which is especially now extremely different from, from my version of the film. Um, and you know, rake in some ways is not abnormal. It's, it's, not it's I a mean, creature it's, feature it's, yeah it's well the, the story of the story of the rake is in keeping with how a lot of movies go through post-production they usually have multiple editors and lots of points of view in some ways it's the ultimate it's basically the mount everest of cautionary tales if you're making an independent film because the movie was for the most part taken away from from the filmmaker and the people that 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 spearheaded it and, and got it off the ground uh so what you're seeing is you know the rake does have some things that i really like but it's it's i don't think it's the movie that the that the the producers the director wanted i can tell you right now it's certainly not the movie that the writer wanted really really gifted writer from Chicago named Jeremy Silva. I think he was probably the angriest I'd seen of all the people that had worked on it. But um, Mm. yeah, if you've got any, any specific question about something you didn't like, I can tell you exactly why it is the way it is. So just go (laughs) for it. Well, uh, when I was uh, looking up some information on it, I seen it had a $6 million budget. I'm thinking, damn, that's that's pretty fucking high for an independent movie. It is. Um, and is that number even you, correct? Is that number correct? Yes. Um, this was on my, IMDb. From my experience, um, I would say no. I find it hard to believe that that is the the final budget. I I do not believe that to be accurate in my opinion. But you also have to keep this in mind. This was shot between March and April in Volo, Illinois in 2015. I started work on it in April of 2015. And I was off the movie. Um, by early September. Um, and then it languished in post-production until it was released. I believe... The first week of June 2018, if memory serves. So mm. you're probably wondering what was happening to the movie in that window. <laughs> yeah, they must have really chopped and screwed that one. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it definitely changed. It definitely changed. Um, 
the you bring up a very interesting point that I definitely want to speak on because this is a, this is the one thing that does anger me about the movie. I you know look, I'm a professional film editor. This has happened to me many times in the past, and it was it's going to happen to me again. Like I said, mm-hmm. traditionally movies have several points of view, several different editors, and sometimes wholesale changes are made to movies. I've actually done them to movies. High in the Hog is a great example. High in the Hog was actually a finished feature film in 2014. And the creator, the writer, Kevin C. Lockhart, he couldn't sell he couldn't sell that version of the movie. So I rem- one summer night drunk in his garage i pitched him in a completely different movie and sure enough that's that's ultimately what the finished product i mean there's obviously a lot more heartache in there and a lot more work but but movies traditionally go through a lot of changes so that's not necessarily a bad thing but in the instance of the rake um alterations were made that i don't think benefited the film and one of the things they did that's very, very odd is so the girl that has the gun in her purse. You remember that scene? Which is in mm-hmm. the boyfriend. Okay. Mm. So yep. that actress is her name is Darcy Wood, and she's a terrific Chicago actress. She's also a singer. Um She plays um, Michelle in the movie, and she's the girlfriend of the brother, Ben, played by another terrific Texas actor named Stephen Brody. And for some reason, they cut the ever-living shit out of her character, and you can see it in that scene in the car. They literally don't want to put the camera on her. And they did that to several performances in the movie. I have my own... You know, I I have a pretty decent idea why. I don't really think it's relevant anymore. But it it does. It alters it alters an audience's interpretation of the material. And here's something else interesting they did. So the people that created the rake, they wanted this to be basically an alien meets the shining hybrid. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the ways they attempted to fashion that in the screenplay is the male lead Andrew, played by an LA actor named Joey Bacicci. In in my cut of the film, Joey slowly goes crazy throughout the the first two acts of the film. In fact, I'm gonna let your listeners know something I've never told anybody. In my cut of the film, which was completed in like late 2018 early 2019 when they were shooting that movie out in the woods in the backyard um i don't know two three hundred feet away from the house there's this old old shack um old mobile home that was just disgusting it was filthy just worn down and destroyed i actually took some footage of that on my phone and in my cut of the movie i reintegrated that in the movie um, to show that this Andrew character had got off in the woods and was slowly going crazy because he was becoming 
not necessarily possessed, but influenced by something hanging out in the woods. And of course, that makes a lot more sense in the second and third act of the film. What? But, yeah, but in their cut of the rake, like I started, I started Andrew off at like a two, and he slowly goes to eleven at the end of the film. Their version of it, he's basically starts in eleven. He's just a complete asshole and he's unlikable. In fact, what are the the criticisms I, I have had from people on this movie is that everyone's unlikable. And that's really unfortunate because you know what? The writer, the director, and in my cut of this movie, I think we did a really solid job of getting the audience to not only like these characters, but sympathize with them, empathize with them, understand them. And that's just all gone in the new cut of the movie. You just don't give a shit. You could give two fucking fucks about these people. <laughs> it's really the the rake was supposed to be a horror film, but it was also supposed to be a psychological thriller and a character study. And that's mm-hmm. it's been, that's just been sucked out of uh, of the uh, you know in the theatrical version. All of that's just been removed, and it's too bad. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, he came off as like a total asshole, especially when it got to the party scene. Oh, totally. And you know, that's okay, because he's starting to lose it. But we did a good job of building up a character you did like. But then over time, his mind starts to go. And his his attitude and his demeanor just disintegrates because he's becoming influenced by this 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 pestilence, this this rake another thing that the movie does very very poorly and i'll tell you here in a second how i was able to fix that as you know the rake is based on a i want to say 2005 or 2006 creepy pasta tale so technically rake qualifies as a fan film hmm if specific people are listening to this right now, you may want to check out um, some copyright because that definitely changes the status of the film. Wink, wink. Anyway, this movie doesn't get into the mythology of the creature at all. And let me tell you a simple change that I had recommended before I left the project. I, I said to everybody, specifically for the people in L.A., you need to create an opening title sequence at a minimum <laughs> similar to set that illustrates the mythology of the rake creature. If you notice in the current version of the movie, dude, when's the last time you saw a fucking horror movie that didn't have an awesome title sequence? I mean, they, dude, didn't, bother I was say. Fucking, they didn't bother to do one. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? I was waiting for one too. It's not there. It's, 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 you know, that's the thing that pisses me off. This is an unfucking finished movie. And it, the more I talk about it, the more aggravated I'm going to get. So, <laughs> so check this out. So I had an opening title sequence, right? Mm-hmm. And then as it ends, you see Jacob Murphy on the television in the dad's office. Okay. Then Jacob Murphy is introduced. And by the way, there's going to be spoilers here. I don't give a fuck. So the, the, the killer is introduced. And then... The kids see their parents, and then we cut to 20 years later. And then the second half of my title sequence, which I literally rip off the Shining's title sequence with these awesome drone shots that a 
guy named Joe Meglio, who actually did the sound for High in the Hog, shot. And the f- people in L.A. didn't even use this material. They didn't even fucking use it. And like I said, it, it, those two things right there, which took me three, four days, not really, ten days, I don't know, twelve days, to put together, completely change the general aesthetic of that film. But they're not in there. Jeez, man. I also, want to, I also want to say something else. When I was editing The Rake, I did not have the luxury of the opening 15 minutes. That was shot Christmas 2015. I was actually editing an incomplete movie. Which is, yeah. is disappointing because I would have figured out that we didn't need to blow our load with the opening. We could have saved some of those pieces for the flashbacks. Um, I actually had a brilliant idea that I reworked in 2018 where when she goes downstairs, when Sinead Grimes Beach goes downstairs to see the fetus, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if you caught that. In our version, it's very obvious what it is, and theirs, they were a little scared of it for some reason. But in her dream sequence, I think I ripped this off of the fifth uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film. But there's a there's a nightmare sequence where um, the rake is in her womb because she was pregnant at one point. So there's this whole nightmare she has about when, when she was pregnant at one point. Mm-hmm. It, it's fucking crazy. My, my version of this movie was fucking insane. And there's no way that Sony would have put this out. But the point is... If you're going to make a fucking horror movie, make a fucking horror movie. You don't make a lifetime horror movie, which is what this is. And yeah, I, I, I hate to, I hate to demean it because I have a very, a lot of talented colleagues and they worked their fucking asses off on this. And there is some great stuff in this movie. There really is. The photography is is exceptional. You know, the photography is amazing. P's name is uh, Robert Patrick Stern. He's from Chicago. In fact, I think he just got an Emmy nomination for a HBO documentary he did. Photography is amazing. There's some incredible creature effects. Um, there's some really solid character builds, and some of the performances are great. Like you know, like I said, Sinead Grimes Beach, Rachel Melvin, um, who plays Nicole, um, Stephen Brody, Darcy Wood. They're all they're all fucking incredible. I'm not going to comment on any of the other cast except for uh, Freddie Beckley, who played the actual Rake Monster. If you notice, they keep his name off of the end titles, which is just. Yeah, I noticed he was sort of like stuck in there with like uh, some of the other creditors, like, you know, creature effects and like shit like that. Like, you, you know, he wasn't really in the cast part. It kind of just stuck him further down the list <laughs> i'm very i'm very yeah rake is it's a sore spot and i'll tell you why if i didn't get if i honestly didn't really you know how a lot of people say oh i don't give a fuck whatever if i really didn't care if i didn't care about the things i worked on we wouldn't be having this conversation but, but i do i spent mm-hmm. four or five months on this you know and i didn't even cut it here i cut it away from my from my family i wow. basically got paid thousands of dollars to turn in a assembly edit, which is, you know, not what I had put put forth, but 
Look, you're gonna you're gonna be a you're gonna be an editor. This it, is going to happen to you several times, several times, and that's fine. You know, I'm willing to accept that. But Jesus Christ, it didn't have to be that way. Well, so it definitely would be interesting to see your take on it. You know, the the way that you edited, it. I'd like to see that version instead of the one I'd seen. I don't. I think there's too many legal entanglements. Even oh. though, like I said, this is technically a found or a um, found footage. This is technically a fan film, so um, <laughs> that does put its copyright in a little different area. But I don't think it's ever going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. My cut right now would is is fundamentally unreleasable because my cut is basically a, a Richard Donner Superman two cut. Um, to make scenes work, I have pieces from other movies. Um, I have footage that wasn't even shot in 4K. It was shot from different cameras. Um, that doesn't even have the actual actor that was there at the time. So, I mean, it's mine is experimental, but 90% of it, 95% of it is still uh, footage from the film. But yeah, it's a slightly, well, I shouldn't say slightly, it's a completely different take on the movie. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. It's too bad, but, um, hey, that's movie making, you know, some people really like the rake, you know, and they did a decent job of releasing it. You know, you, when it was released, it was in every, it seemed like every fucking Walmart in the country. I mean, it was, it got out there, you know, you can see it now mm-hmm. on, on Amazon. So, I mean, it's on uh Tubi as well. It's on Tubi. See, they, at least, you know, they, they, they it's at least out there. People are conscious right. of it, which is more than I can say. In, in voodoo i did see it on voodoo as well oh really excellent see there you go yeah. uh, the sad thing, the sad thing like i said is that i i'm confident in fact i'm certain there's a better movie hiding in there and unfortunately i really think that about most movies i think a lot of movies get um, manipulated in post and usually for the worst because money people and artistic people very rarely see eye to eye that's just the nature of what we do. That's why most movies are failures. Mm, and most people don't know what they're most people just don't know what they're doing. That's the other thing. Right. <laughs> like you have, you know, the most brilliant idea and then you got someone with uh buku amounts of money producing it. It's like, "Well, we should do it this way." And then you got to go that way and then boom, it's a failure. <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm not saying uh, this movie was, but you know, I'm just saying in general, you know, it's it's really the people with the money, you know, it's it's it goes towards their direction rather than on the creativity side. I mean, I don't know, I'm I'm not really a filmmaker, so I can't really say, but it just kind of seems like that. Uh, well, you're not you're not far off. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I wasn't. That's why I would say something like this. <laughs> yeah, you're not. You're you're not far off. Um, so yeah, I mean, in closing, yeah, Rake was, um, you know, it's a footnote. It's it's a cautionary tale. I think the people that worked on that learned a lot. Um, I think that when you get into business with 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 other people, um, there's always that possibility. I mean, we had that same thing happen on Chop Shop. We figured out a different way. Um, you know, it's it's just the nature of the beast. So when you talk to filmmakers like myself and they say, you know, oh, man, you know, I, I we had high hopes for that. And 
everyone's got that fucking story. Everyone does. Every filmmaker mm-hmm. I've ever met has that story. At least ones that have dealt with a, a distributor that that you know had had capital and had influence, and you know had had the ability to put a movie out in in not necessarily theatrical release, but at least in terms of getting the public uh, um, to be conscious of it. Right on. Yeah, I. Uh... I mean, I'm not like, I don't know, uh, a filmmaker per se, but I've always kind of dreamed of being a filmmaker. And uh, I kind of came up with a script for a movie. Uh, I don't even know if I should even say this on the air, but. <laughs> no, tell I, me uh, later. All right, I'll tell you later. I kind of came up with an idea for a movie, for like a short horror movie. But yeah, the next time we talk, um, see. Um... See skeletons for sure, because um, you'll dig you'll dig skeletons a lot, and then um, and def- definitely see definitely see high on the hog. Um, I think you'll like both of those movies. They're very zany. You know that's the, that's that's the thing that that's why you, that's how you you know that Rake is not my movie because it's too calm, mm-hmm. way too fucking calm. And once you yeah. see once you see these other films, you'll be like, yeah, this. Now I understand what he's talking about. <laughs> right? Yeah, I uh, I seen like the uh, the intro of Skeletons, and I was like immediately like kind of sucked in. Like I liked that the atmosphere of uh, the eighties horror anthology. Oh, watch the trailer. Up. Watch the trailer for Skeletons. Um, the trailer will basically give you all the nuts and bolts of it. Um, just like the Hog trailer will basically lay down the rules of 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 the feature. I mean. Well, I still sure, to this, I still to this day get guys um not just here in the states but foreigners that um will get messages they'll be like dude I love that hog trailer I watched it 400 times I'm like hmm. well I hope I hope you're okay <laughs> <laughs> By the way that movie just got released in Germany as it's called Big Daddy, make America stoned again. That's what they called it. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, if you go to the if you go nice. to the if you go to the September Sun Films page on Facebook, I've got the I've got the Blu-ray cover. Yeah, that's what they called it. Really? Yeah, I went on there earlier today, and I'm like, why is you know I thought it was high in the hog. Why is it? Why is those words on there? <laughs> it is high in the hog, but yeah, that's what they're, that's what they're calling it in Germany. Apparently, it's going in a couple different. <laughs> territories besides germany which means there's probably going to be additional titles but that one is we had a bunch of people say they loved the title i mean i get it it's funny like like i guarantee sid would have found it funny right especially with the whole politic oh yeah he would catchphrase funnier in hell probably (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome man well uh um do you have like a you know, like what? What's your favorite type of horror movie, or do you even have like a favorite horror movie, or you know, tell me um, a little bit about what you're into. Like as far as horror, um, I like. And that's a good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. I. I like. I like contained horror films. So a great example, 
example of that would be this is the answer fucking everybody gives, but it's because they're so good. A great example of that is the thing. Okay. A contained horror movie. Actually, you know what? Maybe that's why I I like Carpenter so much. All of his movies are. You know? Yeah, to a certain extent. They really are. Fog. Escape from... Ghosts of Mars. Contained on Mars there. I mean, yeah, they're all very contained movies. Um, Interesting. I never really would have thought of that. Alien you know, is the same been... way. Yes, I was just going to say, Alien would be a great one. Actually, when you really think about it, when you really think about it, any space horror film fits that designation. Because they have to be. Because you can't, what are you going to be? You're going to be fucking floating in space and there's a monster? They're always on a ship, you know, because you're from fucking space. Right, right. But those are my favorites, generally. I like... Jason X fan? You know what? Let me tell you something about Jason X. Jason <laughs> X is not a good movie, but here's the thing about Jason X. I saw that I saw that on a Friday night, opening night with a, a, a fucking zany group of just drunken, drugged out frat boys. And <laughs> oh, they man. were throwing the zingers you know, before the characters in the film would. And it was fucking hilarious. And it was easily, and I can still remember it. And that was what? It was fucking 2002? 18 <laughs> years ago, and I still remember it. That was, without question, one of my top 10 best experiences in a theater. Without question. Because wow. of how nuts. And I had seen, and here's, here's the best part. I had seen seven, eight, Nine, ten, Freddy versus Jason, and the remake in theaters. Nice, but ten, ten is the one that 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 stuck out because it yeah, is. it's it's Jason in space. I mean, it's it's got to be ridiculous though with with that premise of being Jason in space. I mean, you, Jason you can't take X, it serious. Jason X is basically a canon movie. That if if Canon in the eighties would have had the rights to the Friday the thirteenth Friday the thirteenth franchise, that's the movie they would have made. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So to answer your to answer your question, the, the short the short answer is, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in, I mean it, it's hard to argue. Jason X did have some really badass kills. There's some really good kill counts in that one. And, you know, uh, I read something recently. Um, no, you know what it was? I think it was... I think it was part of... What's that brilliant five five-hour, four-and-a-half-hour Friday the 13th documentary? Is it called... Crystal Camps Lake Camp Memories? Crystal Lake Memories. I believe... The director who is deceased, a guy named Jim Isaacs, I think he said that the studio... So that movie was shot, I believe, in 2000 or 2001. 2000, not released till 2002. And one of the reasons... And by the way, does this sound familiar? One of the reasons that it wasn't released is because I think they tinkered the fuck out of it. And if you notice, in Jason X, 
there's a very odd tone to it. It almost plays. There's a lot of comedy in it. And one-liners once in a while are fine. But there's an odd tone, especially to the first two-thirds of Jason X, where it's plain. It's got... It's it's having too much fun. You know what I mean? It's not dark and hard-edged like it should have been. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if I would have made Jason X, it would have had the same tone as, like, a Bent Horizon. Like, hard-edged horror. And That would have been tight. That would have been tight. And I think that's why I don't really like it. I think that... I think that the filmmakers were tasked with making it more like scream you know wink wink and a nod little tongue in cheek you know a little lighter little lighter horror and i think that's why they fucked up because jason x should have been it should have been you know a hardcore gore fucking fest well even like the remake like now people can say what they want to say about the remake but i do like the remake for that aspect they took it more serious dude i like the remake i do yeah yeah i I like the more serious tone to it and uh i did see that one in theaters too yeah i loved how how brutal he was and you know sure it wasn't exactly like the original i mean we all know how the original ended up being it was his mom instead of jason but nobody wants to watch that now you can't do that shit now yeah i mean come on you know, yeah, and that I mean, was the funny thing about that was the funny thing about Jason X. Okay, in 1986, when Tom McLaughlin basically rebuilt the Friday the Thirteenth franchise with Jason Lives, you could get away with tongue in cheek humor in 1986, but not in 2002. Mm-mm. You just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and 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 if they were trying to give it a scream vibe, dude, that was 96, 97, man. Yeah, they. That should have it's passed. Too late. Yeah, yeah, that exactly. Exactly, man. That fucking that that train went through the station. Totally. But you're right. That's why I liked that's why I liked the and that's probably why I like Jason more than I like Freddy. I like the Freddy films way too much fucking comedy. Way too much. Yeah. Well, the first one, I will say the first one's probably my favorite, and that one is probably the only serious one. Well, besides New Nightmare. But, like, those two films are probably my favorite out of all of them. Just because they are more on the serious side. Um, but, I mean, the, the original is my all-time favorite. So, as far as the Freddy movies go. Oh, everybody but, loves the original. How can you not like the original? First time I saw that, it scared the shit out of me. And I saw that, like, fuck, man. I saw that way too young i think i saw that the year after it came out that would have been like 85 so i would have been fuck nine or ten way too young yeah i think i saw this i think i saw the thing when i was like eight oh my god (laughs) i seen i seen uh predator when i was like three or four and just fucking loved it i would like we had on VHS tape and I would just watch it, rewind it, watch it, rewind it. You know, it was like nonstop. I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Dude, summer 87, man, summer 87. I think June 87 was predator and Robocop. I mean, fuck what a time to be alive. Heck yeah. And alien. You got to throw alien in there too. 
Man. Now, hold on. Are you a fan of Alien 3? I'm a huge fan of Alien 3. Hell huge. Yeah. Dude, I... It, and that fits in with uh, the isolation aspect of horror. Because they're, you know... And the best part is, you know, what I find, like, to the core scary is they all have no weapons. And they're stuck None. in that fucking prison. Stuck in that prison with the alien. It's such a dark, nihilistic, brooding, mean-spirited movie. But what I love about it, and actually you could make this argument about all four of the films, the f- all four of the original quadrilogy, mm-hmm. is that they're all very different. Actually, when you really think about it, there's some moments in the fourth film... Um. That are actually quite cool too. Uh, the fourth film's got the underwater scene with the alien, which is fucking badass. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has its stupid moments, but at least it separates itself. Each, what I like about that, the, the first four alien movies is they, each one is different. I mean, it's all basically the same story for the most part, but each filmmaker gives it its own very specific look and its very specific feel. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of three. Um, Three is exactly where that franchise needed to go because we didn't need another, we didn't need another movie like the first one where we're on a spaceship. We didn't need another combat movie like the James Cameron film. We needed a new, a completely new vision of it. And that's what we got. And sure, people were disappointed in the time, but that was ninety two. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was ninety two. I think ninety three. Uh, it was released in ninety three, I believe. You know, Wait. they probably made it 92, but I think it was released in 93. Is that right? Like May? Mm. I want to say 92, but I could be wrong. Let me look it up. Okay. Hold on for a second. Yeah. Memorial Day week in 92. I think it came out the same weekend as... No, that can't be right. There's no way that's right. Am I right on that? Let me see. I want to say that I'm, yeah, yep. Okay, right. so it was released in theaters in '92. Same same two week window as Lethal Weapon three. Yeah, May twenty second, nineteen ninety two is when Alien three came out. Oh, okay. And I remember it wasn't reviewed well. It didn't make a great deal of money, but it did find its audience. It did find its audience years later. And I don't think that's so much because you have a lot of David Fincher fans. I think people just realize that's a cool fucking movie. Like, it was... You know when people say this was ahead of its its time? That's what they're talking about. Like, the 90s was not the correct time for a movie with that kind of tone. You know what I mean? A very nihilistic, dark movie. And by the way, that's exactly what The Rake was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a dark brooding nihilistic film the problem is is you can't make a movie like that when you hate every fucking character that was the lesson to be learned to all these screenwriters that are listening right now (laughs) (laughs) but yeah dude i'm you're you're absolutely right that's a phenomenal movie i mean there's things i like about alien 3 that aren't in the first two films there's moments that are superior well I shouldn't say superior, but Fincher makes it his own movie without question. Although he doesn't want to talk about it because they fucked it up. But 
Yeah. Well, well regardless, it, it's definitely a fucking good alien movie. Mm-hmm. Without question. Oh, especially in comparison to those awful AVP films. Um, yeah. There's moments. There's moments in both Prometheus and Covenant that I like. Covenant doesn't make any sense, and it's ruined by a series of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen in a space horror film. Prometheus is fine until kind of the obviously tacked on ending. Um, I actually kind of liked Prometheus a little more the, the second and third time I saw it. It's still kind of a pretentious horror movie, but God, compared to the fourth film, it's the second coming of Citizen Kane. Um, <laughs> it's almost like they tried to, to, in a way, capture aliens as in the second one. Like they wanted to try to keep like a little bit of that combat mixed with Prometheus. And I don't know. It it was like, you know, I loved that, that they're still making alien movies. Like, you know, I'm still going to go see them regardless, but yeah, that one fell short and probably safe to say that alien three is the more superior one than covenant. Oh, without question. Without question. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Even with, big... You know, with the combat situations in Covenant, you know, it just. Uh, what do I say about it? It's just. You know, they're trying to build the story with Prometheus. But it just. And they were hogtied to it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, and here's the other thing. It, 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 this is the same problem I had with the Rob Zombie Halloween remake. Do we really need a backstory on this character? You know what I mean? Does it fucking matter? We don't need that. That's not why people like the Alien movies. We don't need to see where it fucking came from. It's better if you just leave it alone. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was interesting to actually see an origin, but... We didn't need it, you no. know. That... I mean, does it make does it make the franchise better as a result of knowing it? No, not at all, not at all. I understand that that's where they wanted to go because Ridley Scott didn't want to repeat himself, and I don't blame him. I don't. I don't want to make the same movie twice. I get it, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 one of those things. You're damned if you do, or you're damned if you don't. Perhaps if the movie would have been better, I w- we wouldn't be having that argument. But you know, like I said, Prometheus actually isn't bad. Covenant, though, God, just the decisions the characters yeah. make in that movie are so fucking stupid. It ruins the film. It doesn't make any sense. That's not how well, scientists and astronauts behave. No, not at all. Or you, we would like to think not, but uh, I don't. Know, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see what Disney does with the franchise. And if the same gonna... thing they did with Star Wars. Give us too much bullshit. Yeah, they're gonna just over. Forgot the word, but uh, they're gonna basically overdo it, like they're doing with Star Wars. You know why that movie works? You know why? You know why Alien works? You know why the Thing works? You know why Predator worked? Simplicity. That's it. 
We don't yeah. need. We don't need a history. We don't need a fucking prologue. We don't need you know we don't need flashback. It's just fucking simplicity, man. You got Predator's a great example. I was just listening to this this brilliant masterclass by uh, John McTiernan, the guy that directed Predator and Hunt for Red October and most famously Die Hard. And he's like, mm-hmm. look, man, all these fucking stupid sequels. And by the way, the last Predator film, the Shane Black Predator that came out in the last year and a half, it's fucking awful. It's fucking stupid. It's an awful <laughs> movie. And you know why? Predator works the same reason Alien works. Just simplicity. You got these eight stupid meatheads in the fucking jungle with this fucking killing machine. End of story. That's it. That's the movie. And they made it work. That's it. Just yep. fucking simplicity. Aliens the same way. You got these eight meatheads and the fucking Nostromo with this fucking killing machine. Holy fuck. It's the same movie. I can't believe I just thought of that. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I think I everyone has thought of it. It really is. It's the same fucking movie. The spaceship and the jungle. The unknown creature is getting them one by one. And they're trying to figure out what the fuck this thing is and how we kill and how do we kill it yeah i mean basically i mean it's the same rules of a slasher film i mean when you really think about it you get down to brass tacks alien is a, is a slasher movie predator is a slasher movie except there's and fuck even predator has a final girl with schwarzenegger yeah and and, and alien you have the ultimate final girl you have fucking ripley yeah one of the og heroines really totally I understand why people obsess about that film. There's a lot to obsess about. It's 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 not perfect, but it's close. It's fucking close. Oh, oh, for sure, man. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I want to say as big as Star Wars and Star Trek, but that the same aspect as a universe is there. I mean, the the universe for really for both, but more or less the alien universe is. Like, it's like infinity, really. I mean, you can just go on and on of, uh, of you know, just the universe of Alien. It's, <laughs> you know. And they could, actually. Maybe that's the direction they're going to go, which I don't, I don't. I mean, I think, I think Disney is going to be smart enough. They're going to keep it 21st Century Fox or whatever. But they're going to, you know, I'm sure down the line here, we're going to start seeing at least alien stuff because uh, I don't know if you've watched some of the uh, webisode short films that uh, 21st Century did for Alien. You know, I did the ones. Yeah, the ones that were released. Some of the ones were released on Bloody Disgusting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Some of those were actually quite good. Yeah, some of them were. And, uh, you know, totally different storylines from what we've seen in the past. And I could kind of see that as they're kind of testing the waters to see if people are going to, you know, are digging it. And then, you know, we might see, you know, Alien as the next Star Wars type deal. Which, I mean, it would be cool, but they need to not overdo it like what they're doing with Star Wars. 
You know what I would do with Alien? Honestly. <laughs> I'd hard reboot it. I would literally... Just, like, not remake? No, that's exactly what I'd do. I would literally remake... I'd literally remake the 1979 film. That's what I would do. Just make it, like, really dark, like Alien 3. I would fucking hard reboot the Alien franchise and just start over. Um, yeah. I mean... You... You could... You could make a movie... So, Ripley... From the first film to the second film, Ripley has been fucking off in outer space for 57 years. So you could make a movie in that window. That's probably where you should go. But once again, that could still be a, you know, I would, I guess what I'm saying is I would abandon the current Ridley Scott timeline with fucking Michael Fassbender because who gives a shit, honestly? Who cares? Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares about yeah. the shit with a fucking alien. Nobody cares. It's just. It's not what people want to see, man. They want to see that. I mean, the world building's great, but I'm I'm done. I'm done with that. <laughs> or you know yeah. what? Make a brand new make make a brand new space horror film. It's really not that difficult. I mean, everything is going to end up ripping off Thing or Alien anyway. Yeah. Event Horizon tried, but they wouldn't let him get away with what he wanted to get away with. And by the way. By the way, a lot of the editing schematics that you saw in Event Horizon, mm-hmm. we had a lot of those in the rake, in my version of the rake, and those have they completely disappeared in the in the in the current version. But that's that's how far off the deep end we were going. What? We were gonna we were yeah we were trying to make that movie fucking horrifying. Yeah, that's, that's what we want to see. Yeah, that's what we thought too. We thought that's what horror fans wanted to see. The problem is you had a company that really had no experience with horror films. I don't really know to this day what they were trying to do, but I'm telling you, man, we were on the something. We were on the something. But that's another that's another movie that had tremendous potential. I just think it gets lazy in the third act, but the first hour of Event Horizon, dude. Fucking creepy. Oh, for sure, man. That's that's another great movie that I mean I think people talk about it but it's still kind of under the the limelight you know not a lot of people do talk about it but it no, is a, a really great they movie they don't they don't and I mean it's old too I mean that what was it ninety seven I mean that was a long fucking time ago oh yeah and God I wish. I wish there was an. I wish we lived in an alternate universe where Paul Anderson got to deliver the movie that he wanted to make. You know, with all of those shock edits in there, just a disgusting, gore-filled, dark fucking two-hour movie instead of the, you know, the truncated version that we got. Which I'm glad we got it, but I wish studios had more balls sometimes. Right, or at least, at least let them release the versions that they want as an alternative you know like like director's cut like they need to give him you know at least it's his fucking movie give him you know the benefit of a doubt of releasing his cut of it 
you know, especially years later, you know. Why? Oh, yeah. Especially years later. Yeah. 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 Without I mean, question. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, back in the day, you know, I would say, I mean, he, he is a good filmmaker, but he went off the rails with the Resident Evil series. <laughs> I mean, let's be serious here. He really, he really how many of those are, are there? I think from his movies, not like the CGI movies, I think he's got about, is there seven of them? I want to say there's seven of them. I don't think he, I don't think he directed all of them, but I do think he directed most of them. No, I think he did direct. Or did all he direct of all of them? Yeah, because his wife. Are you is shitting Mila. me? Yes, his wife is uh, Mila Jonovic, and she's basically the whole reason why she's in the movies because he, you know. Because of him. Oh my god, you're right. There's six of these films. Okay, so there's six Resident Evil films from 2002 to 2007. Okay, so he directed four of the six, but he produced and wrote all of them. All of them, with <laughs> sometimes with other screenwriters. But yeah, he was <laughs> he was definitely involved in all of these movies. Wow. This was his whole career. What else? Jesus yeah. Christ. Well, in uh, in uh, Mila's character was a completely made up character. It it was not canon with the Resident Evil franchise. So he basically just kind of wrote this character for his wife. And so now I I do like the first movie. I do like it, but. As far as like canon wise, the whole series that he made was complete shit as far as canon goes. But uh, they are rebooting that series with I forgot who the director is, but uh, they're rebooting the whole series and they're going back to the game canon and you know, trying to make it scary again. Like, no, so they're going. So they're going to stop with this, like, underworld action film vibe, and they're going to go back to fucking zombies and shooting. Right. I actually like, liked the original Resident Evil. It wasn't bad. No, yeah, I, I really did like it. I liked how it was different. But, you know, it did get I don't know off what the rails. Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. He got off the rails real fast. But it was, like, real fast fucking big budget shit though too like in uh i forgot the the lady's name pardon for me for giving her name but uh one of the stunt ladies i think in uh the last chapter or something like that one of those the one of the last resident evil movies she actually uh almost lost her life like she um got uh I think her arm had to get uh, amputated because uh, something happened with it was like a motorcycle scene, I think. And uh, it was coming uh, too fast up on one of the cameras and like they didn't lift the cameras up at the right time or something like that. And it caused this crash and like so the actress ran into the fucking camera. 
Yeah, but it was like a stunt woman, not like one of the actual actresses. But uh, I think she was like a stunt woman for like Mila's character, Alice. And but like she had some like serious injuries, like it was costing like millions of dollars in uh, medical bills, and she was trying to sue the producers or whoever, you know, to to help pay for the damages. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so, you know, like, they really, you know, like, it was like some high blockbuster shit, but they just went off the rails so bad with this, as far as, like, the canon story goes. But, I uh, haven't seen, I haven't seen, honestly, one of the, I, I haven't watched one of these since, uh, God, I think I've just seen the first two. For sure. Yeah, I mean, you're not really missing much <laughs> with the other ones. It's just kind of a cat and mouse game with uh, Wesker finally comes along. And it's like a cat and mouse game with uh, Alice and Wesker. Pretty much, you know. Then they, they tie in some of the characters from the games, but it's nothing like... You know, if you follow the games or whatever, like, <laughs> you know. Holy shit, dude. They, this, the last film, which came out in 2016, they were still spending 30 to $50 million on these things. And it made $300 million, the sixth film. No wonder they keep making them. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a big cash cow, man. Everyone, why? Why did they stop? Because I don't know. This is my opinion, but it's like, where could they go with the story? Like they've built up this fictional character that's not even canon to the actual game. Like, <laughs> where can they I mean, go with that, makes, that storyline? I mean, that makes sense. Because yeah, that's. <laughs> But Dude, I, I remember going to see that first one. That first one was a lot of fun. Oh, for sure, man. I yeah, I loved it. I bought that shit right when it came out on DVD. Uh, yeah, that, and even the soundtrack. Um, I'm not like a big Marilyn Manson fan, but his original score to that movie was fucking perfect. Yeah, I remember that. You know, like, for the style of what they were trying to go with, I thought that, you know, the work he did was, on that film, was was fucking perfect. <laughs> and I, I don't really... I, bu- could, I couldn't imagine working on, working on six films that were basically the same. I would just... Oh, man. He probably got fucking burned out. Oh, dude, I guarantee it. Um... I fucking guarantee it. Right. Well, hey, man, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about the movies you've worked on and just the horror genre in general. So I really appreciate you coming on here, man. Well, thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was a really good time. I appreciate it. So that was the episode with B.A. Lewandowski. I hope you guys dug it. And go check out some of his films. 
like the rake and skeletons in the closet you can find those on Tubi um, the rake I think you can find that on Voodoo as well so and then also go check out High on the Hog uh, with the late great Sid Haig and uh, I just bought it the other day on Voodoo but you can also find it on Amazon Prime um, YouTube like YouTube video or YouTube movie whatever it's called and the Google Play Store I'm pretty sure it's on there so go check it out man and uh, go check out his film company September Sun Films on Instagram at September Sun Films and I think they're on Facebook as well so again thank you Mr. Lewandowski for coming on the show had a blast and hopefully next time I talk to you will be with Kevin Lockhart to talk more about High on the Hawk so that's going to be it for for now guys thanks thank you so much for listening and don't forget to email me at rudehorror at gmail.com and find us on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast. that's all I got for you guys today thank you Oh, and one more thing before I get off here. The next episode is going to be a remembering Stuart Gordon with uh, returning special guest, White Weed. And uh, we discuss Stuart Gordon's films and just a bunch of other stuff in a massive three, nearly three hour conversation. So stay tuned for that. Um, I think I'm just going to release it shortly after this episode. So you're going to get a back-to-back episode and uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned. You have been listening to the Rude Horror Podcast. If you like this content and would like to hear future episodes, please follow or subscribe. If you dare. <laughs>